0: Welcome to Game Changers Live from Miami, Florida. My name is Sergio Tijera. I'm your host. And each and every week, we bring you someone who has been a game changer in their field and who's touched the lives of thousands to get their perspective on their journey, their mindset, their struggles and successes so that we can inspire you on your journey. So let's get started right now. Welcome to Game Changers Live from Miami, Florida, wherever you may be or wherever you may be listening from. You can catch us every Tuesday on Facebook, Live, YouTube Live, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any other platform that you choose to listen to. And if you love what you hear in these in these episodes, please subscribe and share this with any of the great uh, friends that you have that need to hear it. So I have a really special guest on today is John Clamaco. So John is the chairman and CEO of CNS Pharmaceuticals. It's a company who's developing treatments for brain and, ser- and central nervous system cancers. And their product, Barubicin, it's really exciting because it treats a disease that has not been treatable in the past, glioblastoma. And it's a really aggressive type of brain cancer, probably one of the most aggressive And it's actually led to the deaths of people you know, Senator Ted Kennedy, President-elect Joe Biden's son, and as well as um, uh, most recently, Senator uh, John McCain. So previously, John held a number of executive leadership roles in a number of industries. So medical, biotech, dental, nuclear imaging, I mean, everything. He was Executive Vice President of Permafix Medical. He was Director of Digirad Corporation, a leading manufacturer of cameras for nuclear imaging applications. Burner Dental Management, so one of the largest managers of dental practices in Colorado, New Mexico, and Arizona. He was also president and CEO, as well as a member of the board of directors of Axial Biotech. And it was a venture-backed molecular diagnostics company specializing in spine disorders, which he co-founded in 2003. He led Axial from inception through product development to international commercialization and created major strategic partnerships with international healthcare companies such as Medtronic, <clears throat> Johnson Johnson, and Smith & Nephew. He holds a JD from the University of California College of Law in his spare time, which is the coolest part, he's an avid alpinist, <laughs> alpinist <laughs> skier, and adventurer. He is like- Climbing Expeditions to Pakistan, Nepal, China, Peru, and Alaska and contributed writings on the subjects to anthologies, including epics, stories of survival from the world's highest peaks, danger stories of trouble and survival, and 30 Years of Climbing, the best writing from Climbing Magazine. His writing and photography has also appeared in Men's Journal, Patagonia, Marlboro Adventure, Climbing Magazine, Rock and Ice, and the American Alpine Journal. And he was a recently a recipient to the Shipton Tillman Grant for exploration in New Guinea, and he was also the host of the History Channel's Journey to the Center of the World, uh, caving in Guatemala. You know everything, right? So from CEO to caving, and he lives in Park City, Utah, with his fiance and two children. So welcome to the show, my brother.
1: Thank you so much. It's just great to be here.
0: Likewise, man. So I love the CEO outfit. It's definitely New York Stock Exchange, you know, ring the bell, at Nasdaq, like that. It'll definitely. <laughs> <catch> it.
1: <laughs> they probably would have thrown me out, you know, if I showed up.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly.
1: You know, here in Park City, it's a little chilly in December, so this is how we, this is how, we roll,
0: you how know? we roll. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, so John, tell me a bit more about CNN, uh, CNS uh, Pharmaceuticals doing some really exciting things there. Tell me a bit more about what's going on with the company.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll tell you, I have, uh, as you said, you know, I, I've done all kinds of different things in my career, different spaces, been in the healthcare industry for a long time. This is the most exciting thing uh, that I've done. This company has the potential, and our lead product has the potential to really change the landscape of the game uh, in an area of oncology that hasn't seen a lot of hope for a very long time, and that's glioblastoma. As you said, uh, you know, this is a disease that does not discriminate. It is really uniformly fatal. It doesn't matter if you're the son of the president-elect, it doesn't matter if you're a Kennedy. It doesn't matter if you're John McCain. It doesn't actually matter if you're the president, believe it or not, of the largest cancer research institute in the world, uh, that's uh, MD Anderson, where where our lead drug barubicin was developed. If you get glioblastoma, your doctor is probably going to tell you that you have about 14 to 16 months to live. Uh, almost everyone that gets this disease uh, has it recur after the primary treatment, uh, which is surgery followed by radiation and chemotherapy. Uh, the chemotherapy that's the current standard of care, believe it or not, is really it's only effective in about forty percent of patients, and then wow. it's only really effective to stabilize the disease for a period of time. That means the tumor is not not shrinking but it's not growing, but eventually it will recur. And when it does, um, it's going to be even more aggressive and it's going to be uh, a sadly very likely fatal. So we have, uh, we have a fantastic uh, new drug that was developed by our founder, Dr. Valdemar Pribe, who is a professor of medicinal chemistry at MD Anderson, uh, one of the world's leading experts in the development of the anthracyclines, which are uh, the most commonly used and one of the most powerful classes of chemotherapy drugs uh, that are out there. Uh, they're first line therapies for breast cancer, ovarian cancer, testicular cancer, lung cancer, you name it, I, I like to think of it is this is like the sledgehammer in the oncologist toolkit you know if you have one of these common cancers they're probably gonna go to uh, they're gonna go to an anthracycline but the trick here is that anthracyclines historically don't cross the blood-brain barrier we have this very specialized network of cells that protects our brain you know this is the most important organ in the body uh, does nothing else functions without it and so we it's very very well protected and uh these these specialized cells they act we sometimes say colloquially like bouncers at a nightclub they have a very long list of do not admits and almost all chemotherapy drugs are on that list so dr Prebe's innovation was to take a tried and true class of drugs that Oncologists all over the world reach for first in their toolkit to treat all kinds of different cancers uh, and modify that molecule to be able to get into the brain, past the blood-brain barrier. And once this drug, barubicin, is in the brain, it's going to do the same thing that anthracyclines do All over the body that is they're going to look for cells that are rapidly dividing and they're going to disrupt that mechanism by which those cells divide and they're going to kill those cells as a result. And the only cells that are really rapidly dividing in the adult brain are going to be tumor cells so you're going to have a very beautiful elegant selective uptake in. Tumor tissue, it's going to leave the normal brain tissue alone. And we think that this um, innovation of his could really, again, change the game for patients that historically don't have a lot of uh, hope uh,
0: in this space. Wow. Wow. I mean, that, that definitely is a game changing, uh, you know, treatment and, and, and medication. And so how far along are you guys in getting this out to the market?
1: So, uh, you know, every day uh, we move closer and closer. This drug was the uh, subject of a very successful phase one trial where 44% of patients who took it received a clinical benefit of stable disease or better. And that's sort of the gold standard in this very deadly cancer. That is, again, where the disease is static. It's not getting necessarily the tumors not shrinking Uh, but it's not growing either. And that means your progression-free survival, your period where you're living longer is extended. And that's what we wanna see here. Obviously, we want to see overall survival improve, and there's evidence that berubicin does that as well, but um, that phase one was very successful in that regard. So what we have done, uh, we went public about a year ago on NASDAQ, and in that time, uh, we have manufactured drug product for our next stage of trials, uh, both here and in Europe. Uh, That drug is now ready to go. Uh, and we submitted what's called our investigational uh, new drug application, or IND, to uh, the FDA about two weeks ago. They have uh, a month to review it. Uh, we've been fielding questions from them. So we are crossing our fingers that we're about two weeks away from a green light from FDA to, to reintroduce this drug back into humans. And that will be a um, what we call a potentially pivotal phase two trial, meaning this time we're going to go from... The phase one, which was roughly 30 patients, we're gonna now go to a phase two, uh, all trials combined over 300 patients. And our hope is that if the data uh, from the phase two looks like the data in the phase one, uh, we will be able to have a conversation with FDA about uh, you know a potentially accelerated pathway to get this to patients
0: clinically. That's that's amazing. Now, how how quickly does it work? Let's say you know, you, let's say it's already out in the market. Somebody starts taking it. How quickly do you, do you start seeing the effects of that?
1: Sure. Well, um, generally speaking, um, you know, this is this drug is given by an infusion, and so it's a three day infusion on, so three days on, then eighteen days off, and then another round. Uh, We've, you know, we've had seen from the phase one results starting even during that first uh, series of infusions, and then the complete uh, responder patient, who I, I think I mentioned maybe before we uh, we we started recording, but um, basically we had in that trial, as I said, 44% of patients received a very positive clinical benefit of stable disease or better. Uh, one patient in particular is still alive today, 14 years after wow. treatment. And in six months, he went from having a lesion of GBM or glioblastoma about the size of a golf ball uh, to being totally cancer free. So, you know, the the results in this uh, can be fairly rapid. Now, obviously, that, you know, varies by patient. We don't expect everyone to see that type of benefit. But in a disease where, you know, only 40% of patients today are genetically predisposed to respond to the standard chemotherapy that's given at all. So that means 60% of patients will have no benefit from chemotherapy. When you look at a new drug like barubicin that has a 44% positive response rate, um, you really start to see that you know it, it, could, it, could, uh, it could change the game for these patients.
0: You know, one of the things we were talking about earlier was was people that have had brain tumors that we know that are friends of ours and, and right. that we've experienced. And that, you know, just comes on very unexpectedly, right? People right. don't even realize they have it and they kind of have a headache. And, you know, one thing leads to the other. They get scanned and they're, they're told the devastating news. That's right. And, um, you know, wh- one of the things we were talking about earlier was a, a good friend of mine that has an unbelievable attitude. She had two brain tumors, brain cancer and lung cancer, and I've never seen an attitude like that before. I mean, amazing. I, I wish everybody had that energy and that mindset. How how important is, you know, there's a tremendous mind-body connection, right, that we know, right? That, that's very obvious. And I know that, you know, mindset and attitude is not going to cure cancer, but how important is that role of your attitude, your approach to the treatment and getting better, that you've seen in, in you know in the patients
1: uh, it's huge i mean it's hard to you know overestimate how important that is and i think that's one of the critical things about what we're doing with this drug i mean we are under no illusions that there is going to be a, a a silver bullet for cancer right there's never going to be one thing that does it for for everything there's never going to be the perfect immunotherapy the perfect vaccine the perfect chemotherapy the perfect surgical technique it's going to be a team effort a combination of all these things but the important thing is that patients have hope and realistic hope based on the data that there may be a combination of therapeutics for their particular situation that can advance their life extend their survival time and potentially lead to a cure and i see what we're doing here as providing some of that because you know, when I look at the data from this, uh, from the phase one trial, and I understand the mechanism of action of this drug, how it works in the brain, I say to myself, um, you know, if, if I got this diagnosis, if someone that I loved got this diagnosis, what would I want? I would want to know that there was something out there that could potentially move the needle for me. It might not, but, you know, one of the most sobering things, experiences that I've had in this in this project over the years, I've been working on it, um, took place earlier this year, right before the pandemic. I was in Poland, uh, in Warsaw with our founder, uh, Dr. Pribe, who is Polish. And we were at the uh, largest uh, cancer treatment center in Poland. And it's a place where basically if you have recurrent uh, glioblastoma, you're eventually going to go there now poland is an interesting country there's 48 million people so it's not a huge country but it turns out that of all the countries in the world poland provides the second most patients for clinical trials that lead to approval of drugs in the united states than any country other than the united states itself so ahead of germany italy the uk france you name it all the big places you would think poland is is number two And the reason for that is that they have absolutely outstanding medical care. It's very centralized, it's very well organized, it's very rational. Uh, The standards of clinical research there are very high as well. So it's got all these great uh, elements going on there. Um, You know, English is spoken. It's just, it's it's a great place to do clinical research. So we went to this place um, and they're, they're going to be participating in our study. They're going to be enrolling patients. And we were talking about the standard of care, again, in this very high standard environment. And uh, the director of the center, I said, um, okay, well, tell me about your current standard of care. And she said, well, you know, if, if you have this particular uh, genetic variation that's well known that predisposes you to the effectiveness of the current standard of care drug for GBM, which is called temozolomide. We give it to you, and we continue to give it to you until it stops working. And it eventually will stop working for everyone. I said, "Okay, that's about 40% of patients, as I mentioned before. Now, what about the other 60% of patients? Because in the US, regardless of your status of this genetic mutation, you get temozolamide. We like to treat people. We like to do things in the U.S. We're, you know, we always like to just throw the kitchen sink at problems. Yeah, their delivery system's a little different. And she said, "Well, we send those patients to hospice." Oh wow! And, and I said, "Wait, so basically oh, these enough. patients, you you have surgery, you have radiation." and then if you're it's called you're an unmethylated mgmt status patient which is the technical term for what this this uh, genetic uh, you know variant is those patients don't get chemotherapy in in poland and she said no we, we send those patients to hospice they're going to die wow. uh, we don't we don't give them something that would give them false hope because we know that temozolomide won't work and you could avert a pin drop you oh. know in yeah. and i thought to myself um this is what we're doing here. These patients don't have a realistic source of hope to move forward, and 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 it's a very cold, rational delivery. But the fact of the matter is, it's probably you know in those cases, it's a reasonable thing to do. And we believe that berubicin, which is unaffected by that uh, genetic variant, it it is again, it's that sledgehammer class of drugs. It's sort of effective against anything that uh, okay. that's rapidly dividing and it gets into the brain which no other drug of its class does this could provide that hope and sort of back to your you know your your original question about attitude i mean imagine if you're one of these patients yeah just you and you're unmethylated mgmt and you've gone through surgery and you've gone through radiation you say but 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 wait there must be something right there's no there's nothing There's literally nothing there or anywhere else in the world that's approved for those patients. And, you know, if we're successful here um, and the biology and the chemistry will tell us that in the next stage of investigation, uh, that could be the source of hope for those folks. And that's pretty powerful motivator to, you know, work every day.
0: Right, right, right. I mean, that that is going to be the game changer in so many people's lives. It's going to save lives and, and, and inspire families to that. There is hope. Man, that's, that is quite a story between, you know, with, with CNS and some of the work that you guys are doing. So congratulations on that. And and hopefully, you know, we're going to hear about uh, some of these uh, next stage approvals soon. I want to switch gears. Tell me a bit more about John Clamaco, right? Because like we talked about. You've been uh, an attorney, you've been in dental practice, you've held a number of ex- executive positions in, you know, nuclear imaging. You got I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and then medical, biotech, I mean.
1: Yeah.
0: How have you jumped What happened? What
1: happened? How, have
0: you, how have you jumped in so many executive positions? Yeah. You've done well in all these different areas. I mean, what what kind you of
1: know, Um on I, there? I'll tell you. So basically what happened was um You know, when I got uh, out of college, I spent about six years uh, as a climbing guide. I was traveling around the world, climbing mountains and uh, taking clients all over the place. And uh, more or less, you know, it was getting beat up pretty badly physically and decided I wanted to do something else. Um, So I chose, you know, maybe a sort of dull direction. I went to law school. But i went to law school in san francisco uh it was the 90s the heart of the startup boom i barely made it through law school before i got recruited into my first startup and uh, the bug hit me really hard that company went public uh, shortly after i joined it was exciting you know all this stuff and i loved the idea of innovation and you know and change and and growing things you know not just being a cog but like saying okay hey we get to write the rules how do we want to build this company how do we want to make this product what do we want to do um i bounced back and forth between practicing law and startups for a few years i was a partner in a firm i had moved at that point to utah uh, i was living here in the mountains and um one of my clients uh had an idea for of all things a um, a, a molecular diagnostic a gen- a, a genetic based test uh, for a progressive orthopedic disease adolescent idiopathic scoliosis that was his uh, that was his specialty and uh, you know like a lot of entrepreneurs I guess if I had known then uh, at that moment what I know now or even when we by the time we got into the thick of the company uh, I might not have taken on the challenge, but um, it sounded again, like the opportunity to to change the game into space. You know, here was a situation where you had a lot of kids getting x-rayed all the time because they had a little curve in their spine, getting exposed to, you know, lots of x-rays during their formative years, getting put in these braces, all of this stuff. And my, my client said, look, I think we can, I think we can figure out what's gonna happen with these kids just on the basis of a saliva test. And this was 2003, so it was before, cheap, uh, widely available uh, gene sequencing. And um, we got Johnson & Johnson to back us. We got Smith & Nephew to back us. We got Medtronic to back us. We raised a truckload of money and we built uh, this test and it's still in use today. And over the course of that uh, 10 year period, it ate my law practice. So I I left the practice for good. Um, I became CEO of that company. And and I think my what, recovering
0: attorney, right?
1: Yeah. Recovering attorney. Exactly. <laughs> I think what happened was, um, you know, to be honest, over that period of, of taking this product and this company literally from a cocktail napkin, you know, sketch of what would this look like if we had a test all the way through it, you know, commercialization, regulatory approval, venture financing, massive corporate partnership, all that stuff. I, I said, so to be honest, you know, I hit every pothole you could hit. Um, you know, every brick wall you could run into, I did every mistake. It seems like you could make, we made, and we still somehow managed to succeed in our mission. Mm -hmm. And I, I think in that process, um, you know, at the end of all that, sometimes you think what, what good it was all this, right? I mean, yeah, we got the, you know, we did it and that's it, but boy, what a road to take. And, uh, it turned out that there were a lot of, you know, investors that, liked that kind of experience and thought maybe it would have some bearing on their companies. So I got tapped um, by a series of Hedge fund investors to help them with some turnaround projects. Uh, you know, one was in a medical practice management, another was in nuclear medicine, and that was sort of how I got introduced to these different companies that were in various stages of difficulty. Um, and I was either a board member at times, sometimes an executive, and I was I was quite happy doing that. I did that for about six years, and uh, and then I met Dr. Prive, our founder at CNS, and um, and it just hit me he had all the ingredients that i had been looking for in a new uh, project he had an awesome piece of technology that he had developed he was super passionate he really knew what was going on the solution that he had seemed uh simple and elegant, but totally precise and effective. He had lots of data behind it. The project had been backed by other people much smarter than me before I got involved. And I thought, um, you know, this is a chance again to take on a really hard challenge, Uh, but the deck I felt like was really stacked in our favor. And if I could bring sort of all that, you know, school of hard knocks management and startup experience over the last at that point, you know, 17 years to bear on this, maybe I could help steer this baby of Dr. Pribe's out into commercialization and in the clinic. And if we could do it, um, you know, we would we would make some money for our shareholders. We would make patients happy and uh, we'd have a lot of fun doing it. So that's, that's what we're doing.
0: So. Challenge seems to be a common theme in your life, right? Because if it's not rock climbing, extreme skiing, uh, taking on these projects where you hit every possible obstacle and barrier right what is, it, what is it about challenges that that excites you that that gets you hungry that gets you I think
1: um you know i i guess I mean, I grew up uh, in a family that kind of thrived on that sort of uh, challenge and, and environment. You know, my my dad uh, was the first person in his family to go to college. Um, you know, he built an incredibly successful law firm. He had an en- enormous practice, uh, built it himself over the course of 50 years. And, you know, I used to watch him sometimes and think, when does it get easy? You know, and he used to tell me, it, it, it never gets easy, John. Like, that's the, that's the game. There's no end. It's just the... The game you keep playing and uh and i feel like that's just sort of who who i am i, I like this and, and if it were if it were easy i don't think i would know what to do with myself and i love the process of solving problems you know one would think at this stage that okay well the process of developing a drug is a well-worn path you do this you do this you do this and it works and then you're approved or and it's nothing like that, you know. It's a constant series of everyday challenges. Whether it's you know me sitting down with our with our CSO and talking about uh, you know a chemistry problem that ha- that they are they still are having difficulty solving in the manufacturing process and what they're thinking about doing and what do I think about it? Well, okay, I'm not a chemist, um, but you know I can weigh in on how this fits in our overall program. I may be talking an hour later with our chief medical officer about the trial design. And and I'm not a neuro-oncologist, MD, PhD, as she is, but um, what I can do is bring to bear my experience from having taken other products from inception through trials and analysis and regulatory approval and, and probe and ask her questions that I've seen can change her thinking and and i i just you know that's that's what i love it's all a series of 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 problem-solving events and all the while maintaining focus on the goal which is my you know my main job which is to say as I said, you know, this, is, this is our founder's baby. Um, I think it could be a game changer. My job is to deliver that baby and keep the team focused, keep the company financed, keep the investors happy, um, you know, continuing to tell the story and build momentum, and all the while keeping our eyes on the prize, which is you know, how do we move this molecule through the process as quickly and efficiently as possible?
0: So having a, a diverse and uh, diverse in terms of experience in terms of experiences, not only having all PhDs in there, but having some business people that provide different perspectives. Were you were you the one that pulled your team together, all your you know your board and all the people, and how did you go about hand selecting this so that you you bring that a team together, you know t- to succeed.
1: Sure. So, I mean, first of all, I was very lucky because a lot of the folks on the team have worked together in various projects um, over, you know, many years. And so it was a question of, of pulling some resources together that knew one another, but then also going out to our network. You know, I have an absolutely top-notch cfo chris downs who i was who i met uh when i was on the board of a company where he was uh the uh you know sort of right-hand man to that cfo and we worked together to turn that company around um i brought in a board member from my nuclear imaging days uh who was a cfo at a company where i was on the board and, and i knew that he would be just an absolute superstar asset to have a, chair of our audit committee and on our board with all his great experience. So, you know, we, we, Dr. Privy and I work together to pull the team, uh, together and, and, and it has, it's a total, uh, teamwork e- effort. I mean, we have, we have a very small organization and it's, and it's, it's basically as flat as can be. And we work, uh, you know, pretty effectively, I think as collaborators, we all respect one another. And I think that's, you know, everyone approaches this in some ways, I, you know in some ways with a beginner's mind right you look at these problems but, and and i think there's no um not invented here syndrome there's no this is this is how we've always done it syndrome we always work together and and we and we try to really um you know we try to really respect other people's uh, experiences because everyone, you know, I gave you my take on my history, you know, all the barriers that I've hit and everything else, but everybody on the team has those same experiences. And when we work together and we we talk and we share those experiences, I think that's how we've sort of, you know, woven our way through the minefield, I guess, to get here um, on the verge of being able to conduct another trial, you know, a year after an IPO and a, and a small IPO in that. And, and the, that kind of collaboration, I think, it goes across the company, right? It could be on the chemistry, it could be on the clinical development, it could be on the finance. We've all we've all been in this game in different ways for a while, and so we we pool all those experiences. Um, it's definitely not a top down, you know, management uh, philosophy that I have. It's definitely much more of a a team a team effort.
0: Now you you have intuited, you know, you had an intuition, and you said that you the bug bit you, right? And you said, "Oh, this is it." And so a lot of, you know, what I tell a lot of my clients is when, especially now that, you know, many have lost their jobs or changing careers, the pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, listen, a lot of us get into our careers because what we do in college or what our parents told us to do. And, you know, your dad was an attorney. So you said, well, I might as well become an attorney right. Right. and follow in his footsteps. But, and then something happened, right? You had that epiphany. You, you saw that opportunity and you said, oh my God, that's, you know, what really drives me. So I tell them to you know look at your life, look at the breadcrumbs, follow the breadcrumbs. These are you know, the, the clues right. that life leaves you that you say, hey, I was, I was so alive during that time. I loved what I did. And you can clearly see that you love what you do. And so it doesn't feel like work, even though it's very intense. Right. It's a passion of yours. So what advice can you give to people who are possibly in that state of transition right now and are you know looking at other opportunities you know, have that courage to go out and do it? yeah
1: i i think i mean the, maybe the advice that i would give on that it's a great question is is really just to totally take the blinders off you know if i um if you asked me 25 years ago or 30 years ago if if i would be this passionate about uh, the pharma business or chemistry, you know. I mean, uh, look, I, I don't know if I should say this, but you know, I, I the last chemistry course I took was in high school. Yeah, <laughs> chemistry is, you know, I can reach up and pull down some molecular models here. This is all I do, but right. I, I I love it, um, and I love it because I I see where it's going, and it's another tool. I've enjoyed the process of you know over the last you know many years. Learning a ton about the chemistry behind this molecule and 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 the space in general in anthracyclines because it's incredibly powerful and it's enabling me to do what I want to do, which is you know change this space. I see an opportunity here for patients. I see an opportunity for our shareholders. And in, in order to do that, you know, I had to look at something, let's say differently than I might have. When I was much younger, you know, I had a totally different concept about what I was going to do uh, with my life. And, and and if you had told me maybe that I would find passion in this, I would have said, no, that's just yeah. not going to happen. Like I've avoided those subjects like the play. I don't have an affinity for them or what have you. But yeah. it turns out um, that, you know, by sort of opening my eyes, looking at the opportunities, and and trying to see what value my skill set could bring, um, you know, I I found a place that, that fits really well for me. I've worked with tons and tons of scientists over the years who are absolutely just brilliant, you know, incredible scientists, incredible innovators, but maybe not the best storytellers, maybe not the best managers, maybe not the best communicators, maybe not the person to say, hey, I have this incredible idea and it could totally change the game in orthopedics. It could totally change the game in nuclear medicine. It could totally change the game in neuro-oncology. But if you can't tell that story to uh, shareholders, to the street, if you can't harness the resources around you to effectuate that and realize that goal, it's just going to remain an idea and ideas are a dime a dozen you know it's all about execution and so i don't know exactly what my particular skill set is but maybe it's helping draw the net around everybody yeah. and tell the story and keep the the passion and the momentum going so we can see this thing uh, you know through to fruition
0: fantastic fantastic so one last question this being game changers was there a defining moment in your life or an event Something someone told you, something where it just triggered your your takeoff. You know, in terms of how you thought, some of the risks you took. Was there something that was uh, kind of a game changing event, or kind of attitude that you developed, or something that happened? And you said, "Man, I got I, I can do so much more." Um, you know, was it that time where where you got picked up? You know, out of law school. Yeah,
1: yeah you know it. it it, it, I'll tell you, there were uh, there've been a lot. I've been really lucky. I've had a lot of fulcrum, uh, you know, sort of inflection points in my life where I, I, I either you know got to go on an expedition to the Himalayas with one of my heroes from my childhood or whatever, you know, and or in business and and you know your eyes get open. But in uh, this subject, I think it, it's interesting that you zeroed in on that because, yes, when I was in law school. Um, you know, I uh, I I I read an article in in Time magazine about a startup uh, at that time called Quaka that was working on um, bringing uh, uh, sports to the internet. Uh, this was in like 1998, <laughs> and they were gonna you know they were building a website for the NBC Olympics and for the World Cup and for you know MotoGP. All these crazy things they were doing, yeah. and I read about the CEO in Time magazine, and I thought wow, I'm going to write this guy and see if he's interested in this idea that I have. And uh, so I found his email and I wrote him, right? You just read about somebody in Time Magazine and you write them a letter. Everybody does that <laughs> every day. And the next thing I know, I, I'm i in his office and I'm pitching him on an idea. And um, and what blew me away was not only did he agree to fund my idea and ultimately hire me um, at the company and 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 it led to a great friendship and mentorship and everything, but you know, this person, his name's Al Ramadan, he went on to be an incredibly successful executive, but I'll just immediately blew past what I thought was the sum total of my dream. And he, and it's, I can still see him saying it. Yeah, 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 we're we're going to fund that. But what I really want you to do, and it was a totally next level, much bigger idea that I hadn't even thought of. And when I was released to that, um, that was sort of how I, I, I blew up my own dream, I guess, in that space. And opened my mind to the possibilities of really changing. You know, I came into it all about a small idea that I had about one event that I wanted to cover. And Al's vision was to change the way sports was perceived and covered and experienced by spectators. And I hadn't connected the two until he opened my eyes. And then it was all bets are off. We can really change the world. And uh, and I've tried to keep that in mind all the time, whether it's you know, driving my teammates at at CNS to say, okay, but have you asked this question? You know, are we thinking about this? What are we going to say when we're sitting down to the FDA? Are they going to send us back to do more work? Have we thought of everything? What is really the outside possibility for what we're doing here? How far can we push this? And, and, and so I'm always trying to take the blinders off, not draw the circle around the project or my life where it is today, but say, you know, where could it be? What, what? how big could I dream? Um, and how 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 can I get there? And that was, yeah, that was a huge event for me. And, you know, that was somebody who, I, I'd never met anybody at that point who'd taken a company public and, you know, right. uh, you know, from an idea and, and manifested this whole thing and hundreds of employees and game-changing technology uh and there it was right in front of me and and i've sort of you know continued to pursue that ever since so
0: having a mentor that can see more in you than you see in yourself. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the most unbelievably beautiful things that can happen to you in your life. And so if you're out there and you're listening to this, know that you can do more. You can do so much more, but you, like you said, you got to take the blinders off and open your mind to it so that you can allow these opportunities to come in and surround yourself with, with people who have been down that road, who have you know, seen the, the mountaintops. They can see the next three or four mountaintops to Definitely. show you that light
1: absolutely absolutely you know yeah don't limit yourself because you know it it, you just it it strikes me people are almost always capable of much more than they think they are um you know just give them the right environment you know so
0: john it was great having you on game changers chairman and ceo of cns pharmaceuticals doing some amazing things with Barubicin, hopefully coming out soon to treat uh the, these very aggressive types of brain cancers and other other uh diseases so uh, john where can somebody reach out to you if they wanted to email you once you're on time magazine uh, where <laughs> can they, how can they email you
1: yeah you can find me at uh, cnspharma.com um i'm easy to find it's jay clomaco at cnspharma.com and uh yeah our website is cnspharma.com uh, we're on nasdaq our ticker is cnsp and uh yeah that's it so keep an eye on us and um you know uh the, yeah wish us luck because we have an ambitious goal here but i think it's i think it's within reach fantastic
0: thank you john for being on game Changers, buddy
1: you bet thank you so much really enjoyed it take care all right
0: if you loved what you heard in today's episode of game changers please subscribe and rate us The lessons and the stories in these podcasts are immensely valuable, so I invite you to share them with a friend who needs to hear it. You may end up being the game changer in their lives.